Welcome to the Show Up Podcast, a place where we explore leadership and how it's showing up for us in the world in which we work, and a space for you to explore what leadership means in your context, how you show up, how you turn up to be the best leader you can be in the world that you work in today. This week, we get into the macro trends that we notice in the future of leadership. We start to uh, look around and see what's on the plate for leaders right now, both in terms of the current crises or current challenges they're facing in the workplace, but also some of the opportunities that might exist for those leaders too. It's a really exciting conversation because it's really a chance for us to explore what we're reacting to in the world of work today and really empathise with leaders who are going through that at the same time. We even get into some practical tips that you, the listener, can do straight away. So get into the episode and enjoy listening. Welcome, gentlemen. First proper episode, season two. What are we doing here? Why are we still doing it? Oh, that was the last episode where we talked about yeah. that. Sorry, yeah. No one said stop yet. No one said stop. Okay, cool. There we go. So, so yes. So, welcome, chaps. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, listeners. Uh, funny thing. Like, you know, when we do these podcasts, we kind of record them. We're very much about being relevant to what's going on in us at that moment in time. And we always start our calls with like literally 10 minutes just to check in with each other, see what's going on, see what's happening in the world, see what's sort of coming to life. And Derry dropped this absolute gem on our laps of a situation that he's in. And I'm sure he'll share what he safely can on the call today. But um, it was really relevant to something we've noticed that's going on in this world, which is, you know, the current trends in leadership. So Derry... Do you want to say hello, Jamie? I know you're here as well, so you can probably say a few words too, just to intro. But uh, yeah, welcome yeah, to can... the episode. Hey, thanks, Graham. I can't wait to hear what Derry's going to do about describing this safely. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm um, I'm very well. I'm excited. The season two is starting. Um, life has moved on a pace since we started season one. We touched on it in the intro and prelude of this season. I'm looking forward to sort of expanding our brains a bit today. What are the future trends? Let's see what our take on that is, particularly for our golden golden age um, of our leadership cohorts. So um, look forward to it. Over to you, Derry. Yeah, likewise. Very exciting to be here at the start of season two. The difficult second season, as they say. Hopefully not too difficult. There's lots of interesting stuff for us to chat about. Um, it's definitely yeah, it's a interesting. Christmas movie. But... Season two is definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah. That's what we're going to call the Christmas, the Christmas movie of the show podcast. <laughs> yeah, so as Graham has uh, referenced, I've got an interesting situation going on at the moment. And it was actually triggered by Graham having essentially the opposite situation. So Graham has someone in his team who is an absolute rock star and just reliably gets everything done all the time. Um, and... I was explaining a situation that I've got at the moment where I've taken on some interns for the summer. So we're recording this at the back end of June and I've uh, taken on some interns for the summer who are 10 days in to working for, there's three three of them, 10 days in to working for me and they have done absolutely nothing so far. And I'm facing into a leadership challenge of how, how do you motivate people who don't appear to actually want to do any work. And I've done all the usual things of setting out clearly what the expectations are, being very precise, setting short-term, easy-to-achieve goals, communicating, asking questions, and there's just nothing coming back. So there's a clear motivation gap there. And as we were picking this up, we were talking about, well, is this one of the the macro trends that leaders are facing at the moment? stereotypically there is a generation of young people entering the workforce who haven't really understood what work is all about and that work is hard and requires taking responsibility and things aren't gifted to them and there's a stereotype there that there may be some fire behind the smoke and the reality and that there are 
it's an it's a sweeping generalization and there will always be exceptions of extremely hard working focused people but for me it's it's a it's a real tangible experience of one of the leadership challenges at this time which is motivating people and part of the broader war for talent and the options that talent has and to say actually you know what I'm not that engaged and excited by what you're offering me here. So I'm just not going to do it or I'm going to go somewhere else and do something else. So that for me is one of the big macro trends and it's real life for me at the moment as a leader. I think what we want to do today is just explore some of these macro trends in a, in a bit more detail and understand what our options are for responding to them. That's really interesting. And what comes to mind straight away is one, I'd love to explore that. Is this one of the macro trends? The other one is asking myself the question of noticing. Unlike when you first kind of alluded to this before we started uh, the session, I thought to myself, is this really a macro trend? What evidence have we got that this is a macro trend? What choice did you have about the three people? What if you'd got another 10, but it'd be just three odd ones out? And therefore it's not indicative of the trend. It's just you've been really unlucky that the three crap ones started first. <laughs> And then it made me think, ah, so what did that tell me about what I jumped to when I first heard this? And the story I started to create for myself, which I would have then quite happily run along with in a little bit of an echo chamber of this is a generational challenge and a problem for leadership. But actually just even jumping on that bandwagon was an illustration of one of the leadership challenges. How do you slow down to ask the questions that might be helpful, um, even when the story in you is so strong? Yeah, and I think that's a great point, Jamie. Like, I, It's very easy for me to go, well, this is just indication of young people today and um, this is how they approach work and it's frustrating. And all of that is a story. Like, If I go back to the data that I've experienced, I've had three people commit to doing internships with me I've discussed with them and agreed some tasks they're going to do and they haven't done them. Yeah. That's the data. The rest is story and judgment around it. That maybe needs me need to make some sense of. Mm. Yeah, a couple to that. What comes up for me is, and it's a challenge both facing leaders and those people entering the workplace, like you've experienced, is how to thrive through uncertainty. Because I see society as a whole asking some pretty big questions these days you know we have the environmental question that's placed in front of us all the time and rightly so don't know about you but it's pretty warm this summer here in the uk um and you know there are changing weather patterns and environmental patterns that the world's having to respond to but no one knows where it's going to go so that leads to un uncertainty and i heard someone um on the radio yesterday who is an environmental psychologist what's that and they were offering ways people to deal with the anxiety of not being able to solve the environmental challenge and i i feel like uncertainty plays a part in that you say you're a leader derry you've led some people you've set them a goal with all great intent not just to get work done for you but more importantly to give them a developmental space where they can get experience of what it's like to be in work and understand what it takes to step up. And you've supported them to try and realize that that's what they need to do. Yet they haven't taken the bait. <laughs> so what's, you know, what's leading to, to that gap? And it could it be their uncertainty about what it takes to work that's missing that stopped them from speaking up when they didn't know? Or having that attitude that says, well, let's go and find out. I don't know, but it feels like there's an uncertainty piece in there for people. So for me, this kind of married closely to that idea of, you know, leading this kind of talent. I think it's leading ourselves and leading others through uncertain times, I think is another leadership challenge that's starting to appear. And I wonder actually building on that, whether uh, un uncertainty has always been a feature Right, but in it, I think it's increasing because for a couple of different reasons. So one is I observe a bit of a trend for 
people being less prescriptive and less directive in how they manage people. Mm -hmm. So we're less likely to say to people, this is the task you've got to get done, just get them done. And we're less likely to be very direct and blunt and demanding of people when they enter the workforce. And actually that generates some uncertainty, a a higher level of uncertainty than people have had in the past. It might make it a more pleasant place to be for for a period of time and feel a bit softer and a bit more of, you you join and you're like welcomed with open arms and it's all very lovey-lovey and not just like, right, you're here to do a job, crack on. But it does introduce some uncertainty because we're less prepared to be direct with people. So I, I wonder if that's one trend that we, needs to be picked up as well. And the other thing I think, and it references the environmental point you made, Graham. My wife showed me a video this morning of a billboard at Piccadilly Circus where they had put up on the billboard. So I, I think it was six years and 40 days until worldwide catastrophe. And the reason for the six years and 40 days was that was the estimate of the point at which the climate will have warmed to beyond pre-industrial levels, I think it was. The detail doesn't matter. The reality is it's a nonsense thing to say. Like The world is not going to suddenly completely melt down in six years and 40 days if it warms another half a degree. Like That's not how climate change works. That's not how the impact of climate change works. But it's sowing this backdrop of fear. And a lot of the stats we see, particularly with young people, are that levels of fear, levels of anxiety are increasing more and more and more. Uh, the other stat I saw, someone ran a you know, reasonably high response rate poll the other day. About 80,000 people replied to it, asking, do you believe the world is better with humanity or without humanity? And over 50% of the responses said the world would be better without humanity. There's a level of like self like species level self-flagellation going on about the the impact of humans on the world, which leads again to this backdrop of fear and anxiety, and the world is going to end in six years. And so you couple that like the the day-to-day minutiae of uncertainty in the working world, because we're less prepared to tell people this is what you've got to do, get it done, coupled with this backdrop of fear. And I think those two things might be combining to drive higher and higher levels of anxiety associated with the increased uncertainty because uncertainty doesn't have to drive anxiety inherently right but i think the the anxious and scared take on that uncertainty is also growing in line with the increased uncertainty i throw that out as a as an untested assertion into the wind and Mm. see what you think getting braver in season two aren't we Well, I'm, I'm hearing so far we've got intergenerational. Is there something about the generation coming into work? I'm hearing uncertainty. Um, the promotion of or the use of uh, fear, anxiety to perhaps create attention, call to arms, call to action of some sort. Um, or, to create, or to create control. Or to create control, absolutely. Or to create control. Um, that whole topic of sustainability, um, and it's it's such a broad topic, but it's so emotive for so many people, and and quite rightly so in many respects. Um, these these are all lists which I would say probably are getting closer to the top of a list of. These are the challenges of leaders now and certainly in the foreseeable future. And I'm trying to think, how could you order those in, in terms of priority? How, how could you do that? Because guess what? There's there's more to add to that. We can reference them in a minute. But I'm thinking, is there a common thread here? Or is there something about what we're noticing about the fact that there are more and more things pushing up the list towards the top of, you've really got to be able to deal with this. If you're in the golden age of leadership, it may not have applied to the generation before you, but it was certainly applied to your environment and the people who are going to follow you into the workforce. And indeed, many of the people who are now in there that you're going to end up um, 
being a leader of or leading with or around. Um, just how do you make sense of that? How do you make sense of it? Because there's no right or wrong about what should be at the top of the list, although many would be, many would try to get more attention to their particular thing through fair means, foul, fear, control, whatever it might be. How do you make sense of that? Um, yeah, it's interesting because I, I go immediately to like the Eisenhower urgency versus importance matrix, right? Very simple, two by two, importance on one axis, urgency on the other, and identify whether things are urgent but unimportant, unimportant but urgent or urgent and important and in theory that is simple right like you have your list of issues that we're facing and we can yeah, you know, we'll add in things like the economic uncertainty and the rise of ai and all of that stuff that we've we've referenced before and we should pull that list together in this conversation you could plot those on a two by two like that and say well well anything that's urgent and important in the top right is where we should prioritize but the challenge, I think, is how the hell do you define urgent and how the hell do you define important in your context of you as an individual, of the team you're leading, of the organization you're part of and the sector that you're operating within and the broader societal backdrop. It's not easy at all to identify how important one of these things is. Very subjective, I feel. And it's subjective to each person and everyone's trying to, well, I don't mean everyone. What you hear a lot from political leaders is this is our version of right. And this is our version of prioritization. And I think that's really challenging for people because then they start to then get into the realms of, do I agree with the leader or not? And then they start to get divisive in the saying, if I agree with them, I start to come on board and really get close and collaborate with that idea. But if I don't like that leader, I tend to sort of go the other way and look for things not to agree with that person. Um, and you see you see a lot of disruption taking place in sport at the moment because people want to make a message that gets across the field, you know, gets across the media. And you see people making choices that have left them to be arrested because of the choices they've made in, in creating disruption. And you then start to see things like this very phone call. 50 years ago, all three of us would have needed to be in a huge room somewhere in a big city in the, in the, in the country we were in. I've had to have traveled there by a means that was uneconomical. They will have had to use recording materials that were produced from natural resources and were finite in their usage. So the, the tape quality that was used to record it without technological innovation, which required the industrial evolution, we would not be able to record this at the touch of a button from three different locations. Arguably distributing it would have been a lot harder as well because it would have been yeah. sending sending tape yeah. out to anybody who said they might be interested. Yeah. Um, I, you, you also brought to mind, Graham, the, um, the UN 17 goals that you have to align with if you wish to be a global citizen and that to your point of like who defines what's right what's good i mean the un have defined these 17 things and declared that you must align with them if you want to be a global citizen but what does that really mean for an individual leader i think we're, we're in danger of getting a little bit yeah i might i might have taken this off about somewhere lost there chap sorry um i so to to answer that question here's what i would do interested in your thoughts guys i Ultimately, as a leader, you're operating within an organization of some kind in the, in the loosest sense. As, and that could literally just be you and how you lead yourself or the team you're working in or the team you're, you're formally leading. Mostly, you know, we're talking to people in the golden age of leadership between 25 and 40 who are moving into positions where they are leading others within an organization, public or private sector or whatever, charity. Um, that organization will have a culture, a set of values, and it will have a strategy of some kind. It'll be trying to achieve something. And the way that I would look at all of these macro trends is to say, within the context of our values as an organization and my values as an individual, and maybe 
sub-team values if they're different as well. Within that context and within the context of the strategy and the context of what I'm trying to achieve in the world, how important are these things? And that's a, that in itself, even boiling it down to that, is a complicated set of questions to ask. But if you start from like, well, I'm, I've committed to this organization that we're, I'm going to try and move it in this certain direction. That is what leading within this organization means. I'm trying to move the organization forward in some way. So when I look at the macro trend towards AI, making some jobs more efficient, making some jobs redundant, creating new jobs, how can I flow with that trend in order to achieve what I want to achieve? So that like, that for me is the kind of practical way of thinking about it. I think the really interesting challenge is when you see one of these macro trends and you do that analysis and you say, well, the macro trend is moving against what we're trying to achieve. And then you have to decide, are you going to swim with that macro trend or are you going to swim against it? And when And that is, I think, particularly relevant when you get into this question of, the goals that are, are being set at a societal level, the the requirements to do good as an organization that might go completely against other goals that that organization has, might drive up your costs. It might lead to prioritizing things over different timeframes than you strategically you would choose to prioritize things. It might mean making different decisions about who you hire based on someone's definition of good. And in all of those cases, you have to decide, are you going to swim with the trend or against the trend? So that for me is a big thing as a leader over the next six to 12 months, particularly as perspectives in the world start to polarize more, opinions start to polarize more, and there's a bit of a trend, another macro trend for people to fall into camp A or camp B and there'd be nothing in between. Mm -hmm. And that decision, am I, in, am I in camp B, which goes against the trend, but is the right thing for the stated goals of the organization and my personal mission, say? Or am I am I going to go into camp A and make it harder to achieve what I want to achieve, but play the right role in broader society? Yeah, I'm listening to this, Derry, and I'm fascinated fascinated um and i think the way my brain works as i'm listening sort of becoming more and more aware of almost like an imagery that goes off which is i'm processing all the data i'm coming in it's been combined with my stories that already exist in there since i've been making of the world in the last six months 12 months um seeing what i can distill from it and i'm um thinking out loud now so bear with me for a moment um i love the idea of the practicality of saying right if i am a leader golden age my first leadership role my first or second maybe third leadership role but i'm still learning the art of leadership um how do is where where could i start to try and make sense of this the idea of in the context of my business what are our stated goals and therefore, how do I use that kind of urgent, important quadrant to say, here's the list of stuff I know about. Because bear in mind, there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't know about. Here's the stuff I know about. Where would I where would I map it out? So you at least get a little bit of triage going on there. I really like that. I really like that. Just not try and make sense of all of it in one big bundle. Break it into smaller groups. I think the idea of subcategorization or compartmentalization really helps. There's a, another framework which I, I like to use quite a lot these days, the Kinevin framework around uh, basic complexity theory of is it something that's ordered or predictable or disordered and unpredictable? And then start to say, right, if it's if it's a question or something that I think there's probably an answer somewhere, I'll stick it on the ordered side, or if it's really obvious, it's on the ordered side. If there's a question where I just don't even know where to start, I'll stick it on the unpredictable, disordered side to start with. And then I'll start to sort of subdivide those and go, which ones are really obvious? Just need to get it done. Change the light bulb. That's not a big question. Just get it done. Um, decide how we're going to measure productivity in our organization. Sounds like a bigger question. 
but there's probably somewhere around somebody who can tell us what are the definitions of productivity that you could use in your organization and you can start to measure it. Okay, so that's predictably more complicated, but still ordered. How do I shift my culture from being not proud of who they are right now in my organization to being an organization that is really proud of who they are and what they do? Ah, don't know where to start. Leave that on the unpredictable side. Now, doesn't necessarily help with the, the important uh, and urgent, but if you use both lenses, then you can start going, I've got stuff which I think is kind of predictable, but there might be an answer. Now let's take those and stick those in urgent or important, or both. And then there's ones over here which are unpredictable, maybe you have to approach them differently. How many of them show up in the urgent, important quadrant? Okay, now I've got a smaller number as a subset of the subset, which are these things are going to be really, really vital for success for us and for me, for this organization. And it's important now, but it's not really just about going to find an expert. It's about us now thinking about how do we experiment with something to learn, to see what we can start to shift, to see if there's a pattern we can notice from which we can start to draw some insight and then decide on a course of action. Combining those two different frameworks, I think would be a nice way of beginning that sense-making process. So you get a, 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 at least a framework to say, I've chosen to focus on these things in this way because they're in the important and urgent quadrant. It's where we need to work and collaborate together or I need to go and find experts or it's just going to get it done. And you start to sort of lay out your map on the wider landscape. Here's, as a leader, how I could go about prioritizing this very long list of things that are outside of us, outside of me, that are really, really starting to say, grab my attention, got to do something about it. And then the stuff inside of me, which is how do I be a good leader? How do I, how do I be compassionate? How do I be inspiring? How do I listen better? And I make sense of this stuff, I can then focus on those things in a similar kind of way or a slightly different kind of way. But then you start to make sense of it a bit. And that's what's starting to emerge in my head. Mm. Useful ways of categorization. And that categorization is what really caught my eye. Jamie, I really like that build on the urgent and importance matrix. I, re- I like it because I think what it does is it takes not just prioritization of what's important for the team or the organization, but it allows leaders to make a concrete decision about what they personally should focus on. So if I kind of oversimplify it, you had simple on one side and kind of complex, uncertain, chaotic on the other side, you could have something that sits in that urgent and important top right bucket of the Eisenhower two by two, that's urgent and important, but the solution is simple, well-known, well-structured, non-complex that for me is the stuff that as a leader you should be prioritizing the delegation to someone in your team and focusing your energy on the uncertain chaotic unclear stuff that requires your particular set of more experience more knowledge etc to solve in most cases there will be a some another set of stuff that no you and no one in your team really has the capability to do and that's when you need to seek support you know from my point of view that's when people bring in consultants for example mm-hmm. uh, to to try and solve those problems that are absolutely in that top right and in that uncertain and chaotic area but you don't have the skills to do it so there's the like there's the macro prioritization of how sh- in order to achieve what we're trying to achieve as a team how do we what do we prioritize in terms of these trends that we're facing and do we swim with them or do we swim against them and how do we associate that and then i think your simple simple versus chaotic distinction can really help the leader decide what is it that i should personally be prioritizing spending my time on what's the approach we could take for for any one of those things that are are critical Um, and, and indeed as you say not just we who is the we that might need to be involved so I think that's the other thing that 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 secondary framework, the complexity one, yeah. um, I found really powerful is the point at which you suddenly get things showing up in the, the left hand hemisphere, and particularly 
the upper left-hand hemisphere, which is known as the complexity zone or complexity dimension. That's when you say, okay, well, we've got to approach this in ways that, where we might have to think differently. That might mean bring in different ideas, which might mean diverse people, diverse thinking, new techniques. There is no predictable pattern here, but we we're assuming that there is a pattern of some sort that we can learn from. So we're going to have to experiment. So it's not only we need to collaborate, but we've got to bring a mindset that's willing to learn fast and refine yeah. it again, which allows you to then say, that's a that's, that's a, a tough way of working. And that's going to need the, the whole of me to show up in the best possible way. Whereas over on the ordered side, my job is to find the expert and get it done or just to delegate it and get it done. I think there's a real opportunity here for the leaders who start to look at those moments and those trends. Because what I'm hearing you both suggest is that there's an opportunity to not take responsibility to do everything. They've got a real opportunity to practice leading some things that there are known solutions for but also then to have comfort that it's okay to spend time in the uncertain moments to navigate a way forwards because people are still going to look to leaders for a way forwards in uncertainty. I always come back to the references of captains of ships. Captain of a ship never really sails the boat. He has a team that sails it for him. But that team is looking for the captain to plot a course or navigate a course and factor in for all the things that, a tangible and intangible to make it happen. I think this starts to give leaders that opportunity, the space to just step back a bit in comfort of, I can sit here and navigate a course and see what happens. Yeah. Which might reduce the anxiety a little bit that sometimes they feel, right? I don't know. Oh yeah. I think it can in a big way. Like in in the consulting world, there's a lot of talk about ownership. And as a as a junior consultant, you come in and you're told to take ownership, and it is very very commonly misunderstood that and people view own, owning a piece of work as doing the work. And for years now, I've been reframing that for people as your job is not to do the work; your job is to make sure the work gets done. And the ownership is to make sure the work gets done. And as people that are moving in, particularly if you're in the earlier stages of this golden age of leadership and you're moving into leadership positions for the first time, you're likely moving from a place where you were doing the work in large part to a place where you're you're becoming responsible for making sure the work gets done in a different way. And this, this prioritization matrix that we're kind of building out is a great way of identifying the tasks that are safe to delegate while you build your delegation muscles and techniques to others because they're relatively simple ways of doing it and a mindset of well i've identified this thing as a chaotic swirling mess of uncertainty that still needs solving and i'm going to take responsibility for the work getting done to solve that but i'm going to need some help and I'm going to pull in the right people to make that happen. I like that. What other trends are we noticing that these leaders might be? Have we seen any research from people who've done on this and and what they might be, Jamie? Yeah, well, actually, I mean, there's there were references earlier on. There was something that I was, as we were thinking about getting ready for this session, I did a quick scan and said, well, who's been saying what about this? Where's the research? Um, you know, the Center for Creative Leadership, um, they have their six things that leaders um, of the future need to be thinking or focusing about. They are relatively, I would describe them as being um, esoteric uh, phrases around galvanizing teams, enabling others, leading teams, ironically enough, being comfortable with change. So there's a what you call the capacity and capability of leadership that the CCL folks talk about. One chap, Rob Morgan, um, publishes, oh, sorry, not Rob Morgan, Jacob Morgan, um, who I think publishes fairly frequently on LinkedIn. So a bit of a shout out to him because I thought this was quite interesting. Um, here, and I'll share this on screen, just further bring it to life. Uh, this is not 
massively recent, but um, he talks about humanizing and futurizing the challenges for the leaders, the leaders going into 2030. Um, futurizing being balancing short-term, long-term thinking, adapting to technology, keeping up with the pace of change. What I'd describe as a lot of the uh, challenges of commercial outside of the leader um, experiences. Uh, one of them, moving away from the status quo. Um, that's a theme that he's talking about there. I'm not entirely sure whether that's being done just purely because uh, the old stuff doesn't work and we've got to find something new, or whether it's just a willingness to challenge. So I need to look into that a little bit more. Then on the humanized side of uh, this, the future leaders need to be able to think about leading diversity, uh, reskilling and upskilling, attracting and retaining talent, focusing on doing good. This is one to Derry that I think caught your eye, uh, and making the organization human. So this is quite interesting. I don't think it's necessarily particularly groundbreaking in terms of its insight, but nice buckets to explore in terms of what the challenges are for leaders and particularly probably relevant for leaders in that golden age where they're starting to get their heads around what's different from being either a, an expert contributor or a manager of a small team um, in my the new stage of my professional career. I've got to start thinking about some of these things in ways that I haven't necessarily thought about them in the past. So those are one or two of the topics there. I know that there are other organisations that I think, Graham, you've done some looking at what people like Forbes say. Mm. One of the big topics that leaders are going to start needing to wrestle with, wrestle with as well. But I just wonder whether you guys have any thoughts about these things. I have many thoughts. Oh, <laughs> likewise. Um, so what? one of the things that strikes me is, like, so this, this is a fascinating chart. The future, so... For those listening to this rather than looking at it, on the left, we have futurized items, short-term to long-term thinking, adapting to technology, keeping up with the pace of change, move away from status quo. And they the feel right, like they're climbing up the mountain to me as I visualize that on, on the on the, on the screen. Yeah. I don't quite understand the mountain particularly, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the right, we have humanize. And so the humanize piece... I'm wondering whether that is a macro trend or just the natural evolution of our understanding of what good leadership looks like. Hmm. And and I think it's a mixed bag. So attracting and retaining talent, that is not a new trend. That has always been necessary. We have to do it in different ways now. Leading diverse teams is more of a new trend based on our updated understanding of the value of cognitive diversity as we discussed in season one mm -hmm. whereas something like reskill and upskill for me is a, a necessary shift in working patterns which actually is the way that you can keep up with the pace of change and adapt to technology two of the pieces on the futurized side and then making the organization human and focusing on doing good for me they're presented as universal. They're often presented as universal truths, universal priorities for all organizations. And I really don't know if that's true. If all organizations will function better for their stated goals, if they focus on doing good, however that might be defined, and making the organization human, however that might be defined. I can see why they're there, and I can see that they are societal trends, but I really don't know if they are in the best interests of every leader in every organization. What fascinates me reading it, and I agree with the air, Derry, in there's something feels amiss with this. And I think the two things that I've noticed. First, none of it mentions organizational performance in terms of profit and loss. Outcomes, yeah. Financial outcomes is not on this, right? These all seems like paths that could lead to a financial outcome. What I've seen organizations, and I've had client organizations that haven't had financial performance in their challenges and things to focus on, and they do worse. 
And the last time I checked, if a business isn't making profit, the business no longer ceases to exist. Or the, it ceases to exist, sorry. Or at least cash, yeah. Yeah. So there's that bit that I think is missing there. I think they're all great lead indicators that could lead towards it, especially the humanized pieces. But it's not particularly for now. But the second thing with the future eyes, for me, the future eyes leans heavily to one of probably the most controversial things I'll say ever on this podcast. Oh, still excited. Drum roll, please. I'm going to get off the fence for a minute. Because they're all from a position of growth mindset. Move away from the status quo. Grow towards something new. Keep up with the pace of change. Grow towards the pace that change needs you to act at. Adapt to technology. Grow in your capabilities of technology. Short-term versus long-term thinking. Grow into the future. None of it accepts or appreciates where people are today. And I wonder sometimes whether as a society and this trend that's coming up is we're so focused on the growth aspect of things, we get lost in a tornado of growth that we don't know how to get out of. that powerful i don't know what to say i i agree with that i do think there are reasons why growth is an imperative Mm -hmm. at least at the organizational level and at least within the fields that i'm familiar with Mm -hmm. so i'll give you an example when i was chief finance and operations officer at credo business consulting we were putting together a a five-year plan. And when you're growing a consulting firm, you can pretty much put your finger in the air and pick the revenue target that you want, mm-hmm. i.e. the growth rate that you want. And we looked at a few different scenarios of essentially staying flat. And there was a strong debate, a strong feeling amongst members of the team that we're, we're a nice-sized firm, we've got a nice culture, with 60-odd people, everybody knows each other, it's like a little family, why would we grow? So there was a a scenario that was essentially grow in line with inflation, which, by the way, is one of the reasons there's a growth imperative because we... Inflation is always moving, right? We don't live in Japan. We exist in economies that are inflation-linked, and if you don't grow, you're actually shrinking Mm -hmm. from a financial perspective. So there was one scenario that was that. There was one scenario that was grow at 10 to 15% a year. And there was a scenario that was, let's go gangbusters and grow at 30% a year or something. I can't remember the top end. And we ultimately, to cut to the punchline, we had to discount the no growth uh, area because, and this, again, might be unique to the types of individuals we had in our team. But if you don't grow, you don't create opportunity. And if you don't grow opportunity, your people will leave. Mm -hmm. So while we are one nice, happy family, Mm -hmm. the reality is that happy family consisted of six or seven partners making lots of money and working very hard, Mm -hmm. 10 to 12 managers making decent money and a pyramid down there and a classic consulting pyramid down to the fresh graduates at the bottom. And the happy family model doesn't work if the fresh graduates at the bottom are not content to stay as juniors for the entirety of their time at the firm. Mm. And guess what? They're not. So the imperative for growth is because people need opportunity and want opportunity Mm. and they want to progress. And if you don't do that, you can't give those people opportunity and eventually you start to go backwards because you can't hire people because they're not seeing the opportunity that you might present to them. So we ended up concluding, and we, we discounted the very fast growth as well, because we're like, yes, that might produce big returns, but it's risky and everyone's going to die because they're working too hard. So we settled into the kind of moderate level growth aspiration, which was enough to give opportunity and expand the firm such that people that wanted to stay there could stay there. And we recognized that sitting as a 
static unit was not actually an option on the table because to try and stand still was to go backwards. I think you might have just helped me refine what I'm thinking a bit more. Because what I hear there is qualifiable growth. You knew what you were growing towards and you knew the options that you could look at and you refined where we might grow as an entity. Well, I suppose what I'm talking about is in the human aspect, there is a, an endless pursuit of grow and you'll be okay. But coupled with that is if it's not qualifiable growth, it creates a lot of the uncertainty, the anxiety, the challenge that we see in a lot of people. And I think that's what I mean by that tornado of growth, that people are so caught in, I've got to grow, I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to grow, I've got to grow, I don't know where I'm growing, where I'm going to go, I don't know, I'm lost, I'm lost, help, help, help. That's the pattern that starts to appear. And I see so many people and leaders having to hear from leaders having to cope with 25 to 35 year old employees who are lost. And they can't click any red shoes to magically make it go away. And I think that's what I mean by this, this real challenge that so much of this stuff is focused on get better and grow. And it's great because it comes from a really good place. And I can see exactly where you're coming from now. You've said that, Derek. But I just wonder whether some people aren't equipped. And that's a leadership challenge that no one's talking about. How to equip leaders with the ability to handle those lost in a tornado of growth. And how to support people who are in their own tornado of growth. When you're well, thinking when I... about tornado of growth, are you that for any individual that has many different dimensions? Mm. I can imagine that you're thinking mm. about growth on the personal front, growth on the fitness front, growth on the professional skills, both growth on career development and level of responsibility and salary, and like mm. this constant need to be improving in all of those directions, which yeah. can be extremely stressful. Yeah, so I've got to be I've got to be smarter. I've got to be able to handle change better. I've got to be able to handle a faster pace of stuff. I've got to do that with technology as well as people. I've then got to be able to do that and look great because I'm fit and healthy. I've got to be able to, you know, deal with diversity, even though I don't really necessarily understand it. I've got to, so that kind of whole thing. Be the perfect parent. Yeah, in, in, in the context of, and I'm growing a business or I'm part of a business that's got to grow either to survive or because that's what we've made a commitment to the shareholders or the stakeholders about, or actually that's what the ambitions are and we're all excited by it. So I think I can hear, yes, yeah, multiple, many different flavors of growth yeah. in there. Um, and I think that's of, a challenge for leaders. Leaders yeah. have got to be aware of this and work out how they're going to support, create space, be compassionate, drive, challenge, you know, all of the things that leaders have to do, but in the context of this, what's in front of them. I think in terms of the trend around that, that's unfolding, uh, that the trend itself is a bit of a tornado and it's multifaceted. Because I think on one hand, you've got a generation of women who are waking up to the fact that they've been lied to about the fact that they can have a career and a family life and do both of those things to mm -hmm. their full potential which is just straight up not true. Yep, agree with that. <laughs> and yeah, this generation of women are waking up to that and realizing they've got really tough choices. There's a men similarly are waking up to that that realization that actually maybe it is the right thing to do to spend more time at home and try and be more balanced themselves and then realizing that actually that's also impossible for them to do both of those things perfectly. Um and so and then you've also got this I think mostly quite valuable trend towards self-awareness and mindfulness and uh, abundance mindset and personal growth that can also become overwhelming. And I, I feel this personally as a leader, I'm supposed to be showing a good example. I'm supposed to be on my shit doing well to inspire people. And so if I fail, that causes a problem that breaks the facade and stepping into the vulnerability of being prepared to publicly fail at things and grow from it is increasingly important in the this world where everybody is projecting perfection in terms of their own personal growth journeys on social media as well. 
So there's a whole trend there of people going like, well, all these people over here I can see seem to be doing this perfectly and I'm not. But hold on a minute, it sounds like I've been lied to and maybe this isn't possible at all. And somehow I've got to navigate through all of that and looking to leaders to help them figure out what that even means. Mm. Yeah. Oh, That's a good and let's not forget about getting the job done alongside all of that. <laughs> yeah. But on the other side, in those trends, like Jamie that you showed before, one of the humanized trends was upskill and reskill. And you have to upskill and reskill in order to adapt to an exponentially increasing pace of change. So you have to grow if you're not going to become irrelevant. Fun times. Yeah, we've talked about it before, but one of the things that keeps coming back to me now as I listen to this is uh, there's only so much you can really learn. Um, you know, in terms of taking on new stuff, which I think the default setting for many leaders that being how they've progressed to where they become a leader is that I acquire new skills, show that I can do them really well, achieve great outcomes, get promoted, feel good about that, feel good about what I've done, do more of the same at the next level. Um, and then you get to this sort of leadership thing, which is it's no longer actually about what you're doing. It's about who you are and how you create space for others to then do the stuff that you've used to be doing. Um, and you're suddenly presented with a, okay, so, so what do I need to learn here with the mindset of what skills do I acquire here to make me good at that, that new thing, that new thing, which is less clear, it's, it's more ambiguous, it's a bit messy. Um, and it's making me look at myself a little bit differently in terms of people are looking at me now, not because I do stuff, but because they're asking me to set a space, a direction, a context for them to, to thrive. And they're asking me really difficult questions. And I start to think, okay, this this is this really all points towards some of the um, the shifts in the paradigm of training and development. And certainly for those, I think we've talked about it more than once now, the, the, the introduction of some of the adult or vertical development techniques that are now being increasingly adopted uh, and integrated into um, organizations, either as part of training and development or as part of leadership development. It started kind of with leadership development, but I think it's now starting to span out into other parts of that uh, sort of capability enhancement framework. So that is where it's all about expanding the capacity rather than taking on new skills. The, the metaphor there, for, as a reminder, instead of adding new apps to your mobile phone, imagine if you're essentially looking for a way of upgrading the operating system. So it's better at performing with the apps you've got, and then you've got more space to add the capacity of more, more apps that you might need. That's the idea behind uh, vertical adult development. It's all about being able to navigate complexity more effectively. One of the challenges, however, is that the frame that people are even bringing into vertical development spaces, unless they've got very, very skilled vertical development uh, practitioners and coaches around them, is that they want to be the best at vertical development as well. It is just another version of, and maybe what feels like a breakthrough version of growth. And they go, I want to be at the most mature stage of cognitive development possible because then I will be the best leader I could possibly ever be. Not realizing actually that they're setting themselves down another path of the whirlwind that Graham was talking about. And I've seen actually, even amongst the practitioner group in this last few days and weeks, I've been involved in a wonderful um, incubator with an outfit that we'll, we'll talk about later in the season, uh, Adeption. They're running an, an, an incubator and a lot of practitioners and member of corporate learning teams and leadership teams who are involved. Even the practitioners who are, some of them, a decade into practice of leadership development, including vertical techniques, they are subject to this as well. Hmm. They are subject to it. They want to be as late a stage in the maturity um, spectrum, as they describe it, or the, the adult development, actual, actual logic stages, as they possibly can be, because they think that then marks them out as being really fabulous practitioners. Mm. And disappointed if they show up at a, at a lower stage or an earlier stage or a less mature stage. However, wording and language is a problem with this. And, and I, it's and not I, helped, by the way, is it? That the whole action logic scale is on a one to seven scale. <laughs> it's on a one to seven scale. Some 
Adaption, beautifully in a sort of spider graph, so it's yeah. no longer naturally a linear thing. But then, even then, the, the first thing is that you start going working round clockwise and go, how far round am I? Um, but I, just listening to the conversations, I've been debriefing some of the diagnostics with um, some of the other practitioners. Just listening to how they're framing it is, is fascinating. Even the practitioners are wrestling with this idea of a new form or a new paradigm of growth that's being made available. And the real danger is, therefore, what is actually an incredible breakthrough in, in how you can help people start to cope with all the other stuff that we've been talking about in the first two thirds of this episode. The outside challenges, the change in macro trends, the increasing intensity of having to make sense of that whilst growing into a new role, some practical tools, how you could segment it, but the actual, how do I feel about that without being subject to the idea I've just got to keep growing, growing, growing. This is a wonderful way of actually helping as long as it doesn't become another motivator for growth, i.e. for its own end. Um, and a game that you've got to get best at or a thing you're subject to. And one of the guys who's involved in adaption has done some fabulous research. It's still underway into burnout um, and discovered in the like, first year of the research, it was really fascinating that the idea of overwhelm and burnout was assumed to be more directly related to performance. So if you think of performance and growth being that growth being I can develop and, and get better and performance is I perform well and I deliver great outcomes. The assumption was burnout was associated more strongly with that performance. What they discovered was actually you can get as much burnout when people are only focused on growth. Yes. Yeah. And and actually the best the best outcomes for people were actually oriented around performance integrated growth opportunities and finding something else to offset the tornadoes of both of these. Finding a hobby, basically. A hobby. Was, would they describe it as what's your other? Mm. Yeah. Personal enrichment, professional enrichment. Nice. Um, I hate to seed future stuff in these things. I like us to be organic. But as people know, we do things about. But I've just added to one of our future episodes this where we're going to talk about neurodiversity. I've just added to that topic when we get there, chaps, the idea of leveraging neurodiversity. Mm. Because I notice when I often have conversations with people who are diagnosed as neurodiverse, their thinking pattern is beyond linear. And I reckon that might have a real potential for the future. I'm just going to leave that there. That's something to think about because I've, it's just got my head going to say, how could leaders create spaces for neurodiverse people to share their thinking confidently and really go quantum in the way solutions are found rather than this linear approach that we've faced so many times before? The, uh, the edge case for cognitive diversity, essentially. Yeah. Um, I'm going to seed something as well because the word that kept popping into my head as you were talking then, Jamie, as a as a practical leadership tool was vulnerability. And I think one of the ways that leaders can navigate this rapidly increasing level of uncertainty and fear and this need to grow and upskill and learn new things and increase their own capacity is quite simply to commit to vulnerability in front of their teams and recognize that they haven't got all the answers and they will never have all the answers and they can't be at their full potential across all of the dimensions of life and they're not even going to try to and to take the risk of learning in an open way so i reckon one thing we should explore is vulnerability as a leadership tool that's an invitation to all the listeners right to be practical from here what happens if you started to show authenticity which i always couple close to being vulnerability um if that's okay for me to build on that like dairy but yeah. just play with the vulnerability piece what happens if you are vulnerable with your team i, I saw, don't know i got I saw, this wrong yeah i saw a great yeah. video with sarah blakely yesterday um oh i can't remember what brand she heads up but great youtube video we'll put it in the show notes if we remember sarah um, blakeney blakely blakely so she doesn't do homes under the hammer that's not her no no it's not that one it's not that um but what she talks about is 
the oops of the business. She talks, she shares a story about how her dad at the dinner table used to talk about what's your oops of the day? What did you fail at? And it helped create that safe space for her to share what she did, learnt, failed at and learned from. She brings that now into the organizational conversations about what's our oops and she shares those all the time. And this is an organization that we would argue is growing quite well. Um, Spanx, she's a CEO yeah. for. And it was just a fascinating piece to me that talks to what you're saying there, Derry, about the power of vulnerability as a leader. Jamie, what would you, if, you know, we've talked a lot about this environment of, you know, trends and what's going on and what leaders should face. If you could give a leader listening today a tip to either go and practice or do or whatever, what would it be? Um, I think the, the first one would be as early on as possible, get into a bit of a habit where you're comfortable slowing down and giving you a space to make sense of the stuff around you and, and, and build that into a practice rather than taking the handed down list of things to do as a in your previous role or previous roles uh, the boss gives me this, I've got to get it done, I've got to get it done faster and better. Just go, no, I've got a bunch of stuff now where I've got to create space for it to be done. Like Derry, you said, owning it is not about doing it yourself, it's about thinking about how does it get, how does it happen? How do I make sure it happens? And in doing that, build a practice of making sense of, is this urgent, important, using the Eisenhower quadrants? But equally, how might I approach it? Is it something I've got to find my own time to do where I am the leader creating the space for it to be explored, or do I find an expert or do I just tell somebody to get on and do it? So you can start getting into a routine, a practice where you start to make a little bit of space for yourself and actually making space gives you more time um, to then focus on what really matters. And then it probably helps also with uh, those first waves of, oh my God, how do I cope with this? It just seems to be so much more. And there's so much more outside of me and there's so much more going on inside of me. So that building that practice, I think, would be um, early on and then retaining it, um, I think, is really important. What about you, Graham? Recognize and dispel the myth of perfection. It's a great it's a great catalyst i feel on perfection for people to recognize where this gap and development gap is but i find that perfection itself then especially in those moments where people don't know a way forwards complex uncertain chaotic that jamie talked about i think that's where perfection gets in the way of people actually moving so as leaders actually start to recognize it where it's taking a grip of you and do something to dismantle that myth but also recognize where it's become a negative catalyst for others and take action to sort of just dispel the myth. I think that could offer some real powerful benefits for leaders to face what's in front of people today. Nice. I like that. So I feel we're coming to the end of this first episode of season two of the show podcast wonderful to get back in the hot seats mm. and yeah. reignite the conversation really enjoyed this conversation actually definitely a few few points joined together in my mental map of the world and the leadership journey and priorities and i believe next time we will be talking specifically about artificial intelligence and yeah. how it's can respond to that. Hot topic. Even, even though I, you've been talking to a deep fake version of Jamie Garner for an entire episode, and neither of you noticed, um, it's very clever this AI stuff. You can just see that computing power is disappearing on me here. My lights have just dimmed for the listeners for reasons that I can't explain. It's something to do with generative AI somewhere. Ba the battery is running low on uh, robot <laughs> Jamie. So yes. Ro so from robot Jamie, human dairy, and bald headed Graham. Have a great day. Thank you, guys.
find any of the subjects we cover in this podcast spark inspiration, curiosity or concern within you, do drop us a line. Details are in the comments below and we'll be happily there to listen and see how we can offer the best support for you. Thank you.